Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. And welcome to Script Shop, everybody, your place to talk about movie scripts with those of us here in the Cincinnati area. Uh, I'm Jack Crumley. Nice to meet you. And I'm Allison West. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We uh, have a writer today calling in from Chicago. Chicago. Gentlemen. How do you say that? <laughs> that wasn't Let's even that Just get that, that out of the way right now. <laughs> uh, Sean Patrick Leonard is on the show with us today, and he's written a short that's called nasty which it's probably better if you you should i mean it's it's a very female oriented script it's called nasty bitches it's 12 pages long and it's awesome wow (laughs) that's how the ladies do it it's uh it's it's based on some current events uh, as you may gather from the title in and of itself and uh so we will uh, be getting into that with him very shortly so stick around for that we have a sponsor today today's episode sponsored by deep in the heart film festival which takes place in waco texas march 22nd through the 25th that is of 2018 next year um this festival prides themselves on being heartwarming heartbreaking and heart stopping Deep in the Heart Film Fest is dedicated to educating, entertaining, and, and enlightening the Central Texas community through independent cinema. Yes, festival involves four days of incredible independent films in the beautiful world Waco Hippodrome Theater. Filmmakers are treated to a full screening schedule, filmmaker outings, meet and greets, and fantastic parties. And I just want to say that this was the first film festival I ever attended as a filmmaker it was an amazing experience, not only because it was really the first time that I found myself on the circuit, but Sam and Lewis, who run the festival, made time personally to talk to me. Um, they knew my movie, they knew who I was, they knew what I was about, and they are just really great people. So That's cool. It is, isn't it? Personal touch. Yeah. So they they run a great festival. Um, there are awards, I remember, too. <laughs> so there was also, we got nominated, I think, for... For some kind of hippo award? <laughs> no. Um, well, maybe. I don't know. That's just, not what they're called. But I'm just saying. It's, 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 I, it would have been cool, right? I just want as much hippo-related things that as possible. That would be a Keep good going. joke. But we got, we got nominated for like five or six awards, and I was so nervous during that ceremony. Again, just sweating. And I <laughs> drinking too much whiskey. <laughs> just like <laughs> praying that they, they called our name, yeah, which sure. they did. We won some things, so that nice. was awesome. What'd you win? Um, best drama short. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's, that's the goal, <laughs> yeah. right? It was the first. It was awesome. So yeah, make sure you check that out again. That is the Deep in the Heart Film Festival, March 22nd through the 25th in <clears throat> Waco, Texas. We also want to give a big thank you out to iHeartMedia Cincinnati. They are supporting us with facilities and uh, a place to be to do the show. Uh, very good people that we are very grateful to uh, for allowing us to be in here to do Script Shop for y'all. Also, we want you to follow us online. We are at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Script, uh, script Shop Show. <laughs> Who doesn't like Bless an alliterative <laughs> name? Script Shop Show on all those platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check us out, please. Uh, follow us, thumbs up us. That sounds pleasant. And do nice things and we'll be nice back to you. I'm giving Jack a big thumbs up right now just to boost his ego. Yes, I need it. And if you love Script Shop as much as we love you, mm. then please send in your scripts to scriptshopshow.com backslash? Is it a forward slash? Okay, it's, a, it's definitely... You can just say slash, right? Sl- can I? Think I think so. Can yeah, I, you can Frank, just say can... slash. Frank, you want to weigh in on this? Just try it both ways. One of them's going to work. Okay, it's script shop show slash. Wait, I'm sorry. Script shop show dot com slash submit. It's way easier to type than it is to say. Yes, and I promise that we will take better care of your scripts than we have with our own (laughs) notes here tonight. (laughs) So, that being said. That being said. Let's welcome our guest for today's show, Sean Patrick Leonard, calling in from Chicago. Sean, are you there? 
Baby, if you ever wondered, I wonder whatever became on me. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati. There it yeah, is. Yeah, I am right here. I baby. didn't even recognize that song, and I oh, think yeah. that was awesome. That was the tune. <laughs> what other songs do you have in your bag of tricks there? Yeah, what other Cincinnati-specific radio songs do you have? Um, that's the only one. Yeah, that is much, the only one. Unfortunately. <laughs> no, or actually, fortunately. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Sean, thank you for coming on the show today. Um, you've written a script called Nasty. It's a short that we're going to get into in a little bit. But first, we want sure. to talk about you. Uh, how long have you been, how long you been writing? Uh, you know, off and on for the past 15 years or so. Uh been an actor here in Chicago for the past 20 or so. and Do you do that uh, full-time? Started, yeah, a <laughs> long yes, time. Yes, good for you. I started writing plays about 15 years ago and then uh, really got into the film world about 10 years ago. And then, you know, as they say, uh, you know, you can't wait by the phone all the time for, you know, your agent or somebody else to call. So you have to start creating your own work. Yeah. So I started doing that myself uh, about two or three years ago. So, yeah. And uh, it has been uh, quite an experience, that's for sure. So you're born and bred in Chicago, correct? In Chicago. You got it. I mean, I heard you earlier. I mean, if you're really going to, like, you know, if you're going to do us some justice. You know, yeah, you give, gotta, yeah, listen, I'll listen you to gotta, you and pick like, up some it's notes. It's not brats and sausages. I mean, it's kind of brats and sausages. <laughs> But, you know, you got to, like, you know, Chicago, you know? Chicago. You got to hold that A, baby. Chicago. You got to pinch the hell out Chicago. of it. Do it, Jack. Chicago. <laughs> Maybe my Texas thing gets in the way. A little which bit. I shouldn't, <clears throat> I shouldn't say or I'm never going to get a job as somebody, as a Chicago <laughs> Which is actually funny. My dad lives in Texas, and so all my friends down in Texas literally would drive me up and down the street and just have me pronounce street names because they <laughs> thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Did you charge you know, them like, for it? Yeah, right. I'm charging them admission, you know. It's Commerce Street, and we're taking a car down to, you know, Cars. to the lot and that was stuff cute. like that. So, so incredibly flattering when somebody wants to do that to you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I feel like a champion. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, all right, so tell us about when you were born. Tell us your birth story. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, I was born in, <laughs> in the ghetto. Um, no, I was... Uh, <laughs> Sean was born a poor uh, black child. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I'm, you know. Uh, no, I was born uh, here in Chicago in the early 70s. And, yeah, um, I was born on the north side of Chicago, home of the Chicago Cubs, which if, you know, the rest of the world doesn't know, they're doing pretty good right now. Um, and, yeah... I uh, come from actually come from divorced parents, so I was an only child, and so I had a lot of time on my hands uh, to create and invent and be on my own. And so, through my childhood, uh, mostly played sports up until high school, and then met a young, lovely lady in my chemistry class of all places, Ooh. my junior year. Oh, that's so appropriate. Ooh. Yeah, it is. I chemistry. know, isn't it? Really. Well, yeah. it a little is, bit uh, on the nose, Sean. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I kid you not, I did meet her, and it turned out she was the president of the drama club. So I figured, what better way to, you know, try to get to know this young lady than to join the drama club? Well, it turns out that young lady was um, quite... Uh, the not nicest person in the world. We'll just say that. Uh-oh. But I fell in love with drama. Uh, oh, okay. You know, we started we started doing plays. I started really digging into it, and then I graduated from high school and went on to college here in Chicago, downtown Chicago, at a place called Columbia College, uh, which has one of the top film uh, departments in the entire country. And while I was there, I was actually going to be a radio major because I was really into sports. So oh, I was dodged that bullet. Sportscaster. <laughs> uh, but turns out that I started taking some acting classes just as electives. And one of my great teachers, her name is Suzanne Thompson, she said, have you ever really thought about doing this for a living? I was like, no, God, no. <laughs> I think my parents might kill me. Uh, but she's like, you, you have a knack for it. So I just started taking more classes. And then sure enough, I went to, you know, my parents separately and said, hey, I'm going to do this. Are you cool with that? 
And they, you know, they were absolutely supportive and totally right behind me. And 20 years later, uh, we just celebrated my 20 year anniversary from college, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I have been an actor, working actor, and now writer and producer for those 20 years, which has been quite an amazing ride. What do you, because, you know, you talk about the fact that you created when you were young as a child, and then you continue doing this through college, and you're still doing it now. Well, you also took that sports break, which to me really is interesting, going from being like the sports guy and then getting into the creative stuff. That's a little bit of a gear shift for a teenager, right? Yeah, how did that happen? Uh, yeah, you know, it was actually a really weird transition because, I mean, I had always been addicted to sports, and that's where I was led to and everything like that. Uh, I don't know. I think there was just, you know, I think with as you're a young, impressionable person growing up, when somebody takes you under their wing and gives you the confidence to do something, that always kind of pushes you towards that goal in a way. And that was big, you know, for me to have a teacher really believe in me and believe in my talents pushed me pretty hard. Uh, as opposed to, you know, people just, you know, you take their class, you kind of fall by the wayside and you go and you graduate and you do your thing. But, you know, for somebody to really like take me under their wing and say, you've got the goods, uh, that meant a lot, you know, especially growing up in a divorced family and being an only child. It was, it was something that really, uh, you know, helped my confidence and helped me as, as a person. And I just springboarded off of that into like, Hey, I have nothing to lose, really, nice. and so I'm going to go for this. And yeah. if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I'd rather jump off the cliff than stand at the edge. So role models are important to you then? Sure, in a way. You know, I mean, again, you don't have brothers or sisters to kind of, you know, grow up with. Uh, so you're looking, you know, as a 17-, 18-year-old kid, you're looking for somebody to, you know, not necessarily hold your hand, but at the same time, you know, you want somebody to believe in you as much as you believe in you. And that was big in my life. And so when, you know, I was able, when this person took, you know, me under their wing, I was like, I'm on board. You know, this was a new thing for me um, because, you know, things were a little rocky between me and my dad growing up and things like that. And, you know, today we're great and we're fine and we have a really awesome relationship, but at the same time, it was also, you know, pretty, pretty crazy growing up because I was flying all over the country trying to find him uh, because he was uh, moving from state to state and yeah. doing things like that. Wow. And, I'm sorry, but you said, you know, I'm flying all over the country to find him, and I really have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, find means search? Yeah. He was No, uh, well, I mean, it was, at times, yeah. You know, I mean, so he, when he moved from Chicago, he moved down to Dallas. And then he moved, uh, he also moved to Washington, D.C. He moved to California. He moved back to Dallas. He moved, it, like, he moved a bunch of different places. So there were a couple of times where we literally did not hear from him. So I didn't quite know which state he was actually in. Why do you, why do you uh, so think he what did I mean this? by searching for him, it was just like, okay, well, I'd like to visit my dad. You know, I'm growing up and doing my thing, and, and I would love to have my dad in my life. Uh, but I don't know where he lives right now, yeah. you know, so, yeah, Sean, uh, it was challenging at times. That's for sure. So for somebody to tell you that you have talent and that I believe in you and, and, you know, it wasn't apparent, you know, it wasn't somebody that I was, you know, you're my life force and things like that. That meant a lot to me. And I think that means a lot to a lot of people growing up with, you know, going through whatever family life that they're going through. Yeah. Uh, Sean, why do you think he did that? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Yeah. Why do you think your dad moved so frequently? Oh, well, you know, (laughs) I mean, who knows, really? Uh, I think ultimately it was, you know, to make a better life uh, for himself. Uh, He was in the restaurant business for 40, 50 years, and he was, you know, some business – would connect him to another business that would bounce him to somewhere else. And he'd go running for whatever it was, fame and fortune, who knows. Um, But, you know, he kind of had his own prerogatives as opposed to, hey, I've got, you know, I've got a kid in my life and he's got to be my priority. Things were a little shifted for him. So, you know, it was tough.
uh, I fell by the wayside a lot. And so I needed things to hold on to. And for me, a lot of that was sports. And then when I got to college, it was, you know, doing theater and, and finding new characters and things like that and learning the craft uh, that I had never thought in a million years that I would be attracted to. Other than, you know, I loved movies and I loved watching TV and things like that. So I love stories, but yeah. I just never thought I would be able to tell the story. So mom was pretty supportive at home then if dad was kind of bouncing around? Yeah, she was a rock, you know, I mean, she really was, you know, she was a single mom raising, you know, a kid in the 70s and 80s. So um, though she was around, she wasn't around, you know, I mean, she was working hard and trying to put food on the table and things like that. So I'm not going to say that I raised myself, but you know, that whole takes a village thing definitely played a major factor in my life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So, you know, I had families that I would go to and spend weekends with and and, you know, my mom would go out of town and, sh- you know, sure enough, I would spend a week with a family that would take me in kind of thing. So it was uh, it was an interesting childhood, you know, and something that I will never forget and that I actually cherish in a lot of ways. Of course, it wasn't perfect, but what is right? So I, because that is uh, that's your unique situation, how do you feel like that has informed your writing over the years? Uh, you know, it has allowed me to take risks. I will say that. Um, I feel that, uh, just in my opinion, when you read things, a lot of things are safe. You know, a lot of things are, are rote, are, you know, a little contrived and I get it. You know, I mean, stories are stories are stories. They say what, there's only seven stories out there, whatever it is. Uh, and then there's variations of that. Um, and in that vein, I feel that, that a lot of writers don't take those risks. Whereas, you know, growing up being, you know, kind of this kid by the side of the road in, in some way, shape or form, I had to take risks in order to get what I wanted as a young age. So why not take, try to take risks in my writing? Um, and yet at the same time, keeping it simple. Um, I feel that sometimes writers overwrite because they just want to hammer home some sort of a vision or something like that. Whereas I feel like if you just keep a simple story simple and you take a risk within that simplicity, you're going to actually, people will be so much more drawn to that than they will something that is trying to be too fancy. Yeah. You know, I just, this is, I just got to ask this question because we're talking about these risk taking things, but when you were younger too, was it a risk for you to go to college to take a leap from kind of a safe high school world into another type of education and another type of program? Absolutely. Uh, I didn't want to go to college at all. Actually, when I got to high high school was, you know, those angsty years where I didn't feel necessarily, you know, a part of, I was, you know, on some sports teams, things like that, but I wasn't necessarily a jack, right? So once I graduated, it was one of those things that I'm like, I don't even know if college is for me. Um, But then I found Columbia College, which was this kind of like this little underdog school that everybody, you know, here in Chicago, we've got some big time you know, schools with Northwestern and DePaul and University of Chicago and, you know, take your pick kind of thing. And, you know, I had some decent grades, but I didn't have grades to go to any of those schools. And I just wanted to, you know, work, make some money, things like that. My mom was, you know, very much like, hey, I want this for you. I think that this would be great for you, but I want you to find it for yourself. And then I found this little underdog school that, you know, it had things that were different. It wasn't all about science and history and be a politician or a lawyer or a doctor or things like that. Cause I wasn't necessarily sure what I wanted to do. And then they had a radio program and they had sports radio and things like that. And so I was attracted to that. Uh, unfortunately at the time when I enrolled, all of the classes were either booked or at different times and I couldn't take them. So um, on this whim, I, because of high school and taking this drama club thing, I took a couple of drama classes. 
And from that, it just kind of like springboarded for me into like, hey, wow, I'm, I was very shy when it came to auditioning. I wouldn't audition for two years. I was just taking the classes, trying to get the grades, trying to do the thing. And then I just woke up one day and said, okay, well, you know, you got to take the risk, right? You got to jump off that cliff because if you don't, you're just going to, you know, take four years of classes for no reason at all. You have to see if you've got what it really takes. And so I started auditioning and got some luck here and some things fell into place there. And by the end, it was, it was pretty magical for me. You know, it was a a really wonderful time and uh, I will never forget it. And, you know, I mean, the teachers there are all working professionals and they're all people that are just so loving and enduring. And yeah, they, they, they represent that role model that I guess I was kind of searching for. Mm -hmm. Nice. Sean, uh, nasty is a pretty political script. Is is a lot of your stuff you're writing is it is it political or is this just this one? Not at all. That's kind of the irony of this whole thing. Um, most of the stuff that I write uh, is usually, you know, they always say write what you know, right? Um, because I've never been formally trained. I didn't take any screenwriting classes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I never took a playwriting class. I just kind of like wrote from the heart. I wrote my ideas. I knew how a story could be constructed because I read stories. I read many a script. I, you know, we had to take text analysis and, you know, find out triggers and heaps and all those kind of things on how a script works. So I understood that part. Uh, So when it came to Nasty, it literally germinated from the Women's March. Uh, I'm married with children and uh, my wife is very liberal And, you know, she couldn't be at the march and I wanted to be at the march as well. But I knew that it was, uh, you know, it was for women and I was there to help. I wanted to help celebrate women and and what, you know, they've gone through and what they will continue to go through and who they are and all of those wonderful things. And that they do have this major voice and should have this major voice in the world, but are always underappreciated because of you know, whatever, politics or, you know, there's a long list of whatever. So I literally sat down the day of the march as I was watching it on television. I said, I have to do something and I don't know what I can do to help support this. And that's where Nasty was born. Uh, I knew that I had immediately come up with this idea uh, and this idea was going to be dirty. It was going to be nasty. It was going to be in your face and it was going to take some risks. But also I have kind of a dark sense of humor in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. I knew I, I had to inject that. Do you so, want to, Sean, do you want to set the tone and the setting for our listeners? Uh, people who yeah, may not sure. have gotten a lot of the script uh, so, yet. Uh, basically, nasty comes from a place of these six women. Uh, they hold this uh, monthly book club. Uh, in which it's, you know, not only is it a time to get together and discuss the book of the month and things like that, but it is to, you know, get together, how's things going, how the families, all that kind of stuff. As and all drink book clubs wine usually and, you know, spirits go. and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so this comes right after, you know, what happened, uh, you know, with the new regime coming in and everything like that and how women in particular were obviously not thrilled. Well, some were, were and some weren't. And so that piggybacking also the women's March, they decide to get together on their annual book club and half of them are not there. So they're just thinking, okay, well, they're running late, things like that. Well, these six women, or at least half of them at the time, decide to take things into their own hands when it comes to what is going on in the world. So I don't want to give too much away, but they decide to get nasty, if you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> Jack's going to do kind of a beat breakdown for us. Um, you Great. Know, we have, we're going to have the script available uh, for those who are interested in reading it. You can always catch these about a week ahead of time for the shows. And um, so let's. Jack's going to go into some of these specific plot points we discuss. Well, so yeah, like you said, the the the, the group of women is gathered around. They're discussing current events and some things that maybe they're not too thrilled about going on in the world. Then there's a kicking at the back door, and Lizzie and Mia come in, and they've got a <gasps> captive. 
right? They've got this guy that's unconscious, uh, although Mia has to let them know that he's not dead. He's just out cold. So, which... so basically two ladies just barge in, dragging in a body? Yeah, Sweet. they're just dragging this dude in, which then you got to take a break. And I, this is one of my favorite beats in the entire script is the offer of wine once this unconscious dude has just been dragged into the room. you got to be a good hostess, you know, make sure everybody's got their drinks. <laughs> And who doesn't need a glass of wine after all this? So (laughs) they come in and they they reveal the fact that uh, this is Dennis Wolf, an anti-abortionist, an anti-abortion lobbyist. And uh, that's like you said, the women wanted to do something a little more proactive. uh, Then come to find out he's not. He's a police officer, uh, which then makes everybody freak out pretty good. Um, Ultimately, it's a certain death that kind of uh, changes the course (laughs) Of the women's uh, activities, not anybody in the room. Which is so 2016, 17 for everybody. You know, just when you think things can't get worse, your favorite public figure. Yeah, and Sean, I don't want to go into too much if you don't want to tip your hand too much on things. But things devolve quickly. I I always love, you know, to leave just a little bit, you know, kind of thing. That's totally fine. It, it, so it, things have decisions have to be made with this guy that's unconscious and duct taped up, and uh, this group of women who half of them didn't know that they'd be in this situation are now very much in this situation. Yeah. So there you go. For our listeners, I just want to remind you guys that this is a twelve-page script with tight comedy. There are six women plus an unconscious dude, and Sean very deftly moves through beats, emotions, events. Um, within the setting of a book club. So if you're interested in seeing high stakes escalated quickly and hilariously, this is definitely an example script to go to. Now, Sean, this script is so political. It's so political that, gosh, I mean, and our world is just the way it is right now, that I feel like there's a lot of stuff that you couldn't get away with saying. How did you How did you feel, like, choosing very specific political things to focus on here? You know, the fact that you make the, the guy an anti-abortionist lobbyist and then a cop and then a KKK person. How did you choose to write about these things? Uh, well, uh, I guess at the time, you know, the way I write, at least when it comes to screenplays and things like that, uh, especially lately in the past year or so, I try to like, uh, I write what if scripts, which are what if this happened? Uh, so, you know, my first script that actually got produced was a what if, uh, you know, what if your spouse died? What would you do? You know, so my follow up would be what if you were a woman in today's society and you got a chance to do whatever you wanted to do, say whatever you wanted to say, or yeah. Y- live that moment, what would you do? And it was actually really interesting because uh, I actually took the script only to women, to like uh, my female friends that are writers or actors or, you know, people that are kind of like, that are storytellers. And I said, what if this happened? Uh, Because when I originally wrote it, uh, it got really like, almost horror-esque at the end, you know, where it's just like really brutal and all these crazy things on my first script. And it was very funny because this is well before Charlottesville. This is well before, you know, like a lot of the things that were going on. I wrote this literally the day of the Women's March. So, you know, things were still fresh with the administration and things like that. And overwhelmingly, uh, the the women uh, across the board were like, we would never do that. We would never do what you wrote, mm-hmm. uh, which was really interesting to me. And I took interesting that into how? What do you mean, interesting that? how? Yeah, well, and it's funny because now I come back to them, or they have come to me, and I've rewritten it, or I've you know changed things here and there. I've gone through a close to twenty drafts of it, um, where they're like, "Yeah, we would absolutely do what you said in the first draft." Uh, because of, you know, anger and fury and and all of the emotions that everybody is feeling. And I just wanted to, you know, kind of say, what if uh, what if we put our finger on the pulse for once? Uh, what if we don't, you know, try to candy coat things? Uh, what if we just tell a story and we could do it in a humorous way, a dark comedy or things like that, that will, you know, not necessarily have everybody going 
okay, wow, that was the most, you know, amazing story I've ever seen. No, I'm not looking for that. What I'm looking for is that, you know, women present such an amazing fixture in our lives and always have been. And, you know, I mean, men are men, you know, and they've pushed women down for so long that I wanted to write a story. What if women rose up and said, you know what, we're not going to take it anymore. Okay, so you talked about Finger on the Pulse, and on the script, you've got a uh, a woman credited as your co-writer on it, Leslie Kerrigan-Lay. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's almost necessary to tell a story like this, right? It, it, it'd be selfish not to, right? Absolutely. I needed to share it with somebody that I trusted. Uh, and Leslie and I have been friends for a long time, so we actually got together. Uh, I sent her the script, you know, to kind of like look at it, see what she you know, had to say. She had been in theater for 20 years herself, you know, she was, uh, she also created a burlesque troupe here in Chicago that was amazing for like 10, 15 years. And she had been looking to kind of like get back into things. And we had kind of collaborated and said, Hey, take a look at my script. And what are your thoughts? And what was great to get from her is that, you know, as much as I can write a woman's voice, um, I could only write it so far, you know, because I'm not a woman. And I don't necessarily know how women talk. You know, I, I can listen to my wife. I can listen to how she talks to her friends. I can capture some tidbits here and there. But she did a great job of helping um, give my characters or, yeah, the characters that I created this voice, this very, very personal, like, this is this woman. This is this woman. These are, you know, certain attributes. Because I didn't want to, and I also didn't want to necessarily, I had to have archetypes in a way, uh, but I didn't want to make them stereotypes either. I mean, yes, I, you know, you, I have a Republican in there because I have to have some balance. I have to have, you know, a Switzerland, quote unquote, in there. You know, the one who's on the fence. I have to have the one that is ready to, you know, blow up the world i you know i was i had but try to do it in a a balance that it was not necessarily like okay great now here we're gonna see some stereotypical thing i wanted to make it it's not you know the most original story in the world of course not but i tried to throw some originality and some chutzpah in there uh at the same time it's incredibly fresh too You know, I think um, whether this originally came from you or came from your co-writer or just the two of you collaborating together, your characters do have depth to them that in the course of the 12 pages really sucks us in to this moment in this world and the way that they interact. You know, I truly believe that these women do get together frequently and hang out because of the small nuances you have between them and the way that they are um, experiencing this event, if you will. Well, thank you. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I originally started out, I think by the time I got to Leslie, I was probably about four or five drafts in when I really gave her the script. And she was like, you know, she wanted to kind of like help tweak things and things like that. But I mean, a lot of the stuff was just based off of, uh, you know, hanging around women, really. You know, I mean, hanging around my wife and her friends, you know, there would be nights where, uh, you know, she'd bring all of her girlfriends over and I'd still be here. And I, could just listen and there were times that i would just take those uh their conversations and things like that into consideration i was like this is how they talk because this is this is absolutely how they talk um i have a you know so you're um you're a man and you're taking I'm a man you're a man uh once in a while (laughs) (laughs) that was a nice thing to say (laughs) yeah um so you have your script of course it's written uh, it's it has women characters. So I'm really interested in knowing what happens when you take your script to other women to write. Like, what is their initial response to you, a man writing women characters? It's interesting. Um, Especially about feminism too, you know, right. I know, uh, which is, uh, I will admit that I was a little, uh, not, I guess I was a little nervous, you know, because I'm like, I'm going to, you know, give this to a couple of trusted friends and they're going to be like, oh, you, honey, you have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I was very fortunate that that didn't happen. Uh, I mean, sure, there were things that, 
you know, when, like I said, the first or two couple of scripts or, or drafts of it was, you know, was pretty bloody and, and, you know, downright horrible. Uh, and that, those notes, I definitely took to heart, you know, because I got those notes from women saying we would never do that. We would never, ever do that. Now, the irony of it all is that they are the same women that have come to me recently and said, remember what I said six months ago? Forget all that. I would do that in a heartbeat. And that is actually very interesting to me and uh, just kind of like shows me what is because I'm not necessarily a political person. You know, I mean, I definitely am concerned with what is going on in this world, but I'm not one that. You know, when I walk in a room, it's like, hey, this, 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 or, you know, I, it's like one of those things, uh, Meryl Streep said at the, you know, Golden Globes or whatever award show it was, is like, you know, make art. If you want to fight back, make art. And that was, you know, I took that to heart to say, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm going to show my art. I know I'm totally misquoting her, but it was that thing. If, if I want to send a message, I'm going to write what I know which is, you know, I've been married for almost 15 years, so I've, I kind of know women a little bit. You know, I've gone through the ups and downs of being married. I have a daughter myself that, you know, just raising a daughter, I don't know what a woman is, really, you know, because I've never been one and never will be. So um, it's kind of baby steps for me in a lot of ways, too, and I'm taking chances. And sometimes I'm going to throw stuff up against the wall that's not going to work. And sometimes I'm going to hit the bullseye. So I'm trying to take as many bullseyes as I can along with my, you know, my co-writer Leslie to make as many bullseyes so we can, you know, make something pretty tight. So we talked about it. It's a pretty there's there's a decent amount of either direct violence or suggested violence, and it's a fairly visceral uh, script. And you alluded to things like the deadly violence that happened in Charlottesville recently, and how you wrote this well before that. Is there a concern when you're writing a script that is so visceral and potentially violent, being affected by events that come on down the road? Um, you know, I'm one of those type of people that. Uh, I believe in action. When I write, I, I've always been, when going to see a movie or a play or anything like that, you know, one thing that kind of always bothered me was that, you know, we, you sit through a play and this guy's got like 40 monologues or this woman has 40 monologues. Right. And yet it goes nowhere where I am all about, I want to see action. I want to see it move, move, move. Right. So I want to write, pieces that move through, you know, through like present time. I don't want to talk about the past. I don't want it necessarily. I mean, I can allude to it, things like that. Um, When it came to what is actually happening, I had no idea that Charlottesville would happen. I, you know, when it came to making certain twists here and there, you know, that, you know, I guess uh, not to let the cat out of the bag, but, you know, that uh, presents, the KKK and things like that. I had no idea at the time. I just thought it was like, if you got a member of the KKK in your room that had just like slaughtered an entire family of amazing people, what would you do? You know? So again, it was that what if kind of reality. And I think that's interesting to watch, you know, because then at least you as a viewer, as an audience member, you get to decide what you would do because yeah, man, it's, this country is divided. This country is going crazy time. And some people are going to be like, Oh, I'd never do that. And some people are going to be like, hell yeah, I would do that. So I just wanted to present the question uh, and see where it kind of rolls from there. Here's a interesting question. You guys just go with me on this one. Okay. But like, <laughs> what? <clears throat> let's just play this game that you're playing called what if, And what if this story had been written from a male's perspective, you know, writing what you know, and especially with how passionate you feel about these things, what do you think it would be like if you had taken those feelings and written it about guys? men? Yeah. I thought about it, actually. Um, And then I think in the age of social media and everything like that, it's it's funny because, you know, I'm a Facebooker and things like that. 
and I feel like the sensitivity level in everybody right now is at such a peak that I almost feel like you can't say anything without getting completely annihilated. So I'm like, okay, if I make this all men, maybe I can, you know, and if I can, you know, really capture the heart of this, almost like a 12 angry men, right? You're going to one by one turn these guys or, you know, whatever, however I'm going to twist this thing. Uh, I still feel like it wouldn't necessarily have the sensitivity that I was looking for. Mm, And that's, you know, I mean, I wrote it for women. I want to make it for women. And I felt that this was the best way for me to go. Um, I think it would be very interesting and, you know, and not that I necessarily give two hoots about, you know, what people, if they were like, oh yeah, well, it's a bunch of men. Well, that's because you're, uh, you know, you're a bald white man, you know, in this world right now and everybody hates you. So, you know what, your story sucks. Uh, and I was like, okay, fine. If that's how you feel, that's how you feel. Well, then let me see if I can actually write for women. Let me see if I can actually do this and put these words into these ladies' mouths and see if I can create something that is going to be masculine, feminine, visceral, what if, all of those things. Take risks and be a little in your face in, like you said, in 12 pages. Let's see if I can do that. And then when you walk out of the theater after it's made and everything like that, then you come talk to me, and then then we'll go from there. Right. You get to have the conversations with people at least, you know? Yeah, and that's it. I think I wanted to create more of a conversation and I don't think if I had six men in a book club or a beer club or whatever you want to do, I don't think that conversation, I think that would just be like, oh, it's just a bunch of white guys sitting around a table talking about whatever, and this is stupid. I want to at least create a con- more of a conversation kind of thing. So what is the goal uh, with something like this as far as, I mean, because there's clearly you know, a lot of potential. There's stuff that you could build from. Is this, do you see this as more of a movie? Do you see this? I actually had a thought as I was reading it because you have so many different women in the cast, almost like a an Orange is the New Black style series where each you could do like an episode devoted to each woman and her backstory. What, what's the, what's your plan with this? Um, yes, please, on all of them. No. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. Listen, producer, um, Sean's looking for you. Yeah, right. Uh, no, I mean, right now, you know, we are actually in pre-production to shoot this as a short film. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it goes from there, who knows? You know, I mean, my goal was to, I wrote this actually for my wife. And Aww. my goal is so to sweet. write it for my wife, to produce it for my wife, and to make it with my wife in it. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. So that's kind of the goal right now. And then if it explodes and becomes, you know, like something where, you know, I become viral and people want to like hate me or love me or whatever, then let's talk about it, you know, and let's have those conversations. Great. But for right now, you know, I just want to see it get made. You know, I just want to have fun with it because I feel that that a lot of people aren't having fun right now. And I think that's why I put a little dark or not a lot i put a lot of dark comedy into it because i think this could be an amazing little adventure for us um talk to us a little bit about pre-production where are you right now with pre-production and what's next um so i mean goal is right now that we want to shoot early next year um we are you know slow as we all know you know it all comes down to can we get the funding and all that good stuff so Mm -hmm. you know we're making our our grand scheme our grand plan uh so we're taking step by step uh we have probably gone through about two months of pre-production uh i have hired i have another production company Uh, i have my own little production company called crash of rhinos in which i am co-producing this with another company called Fork the Man. And uh, out of that, uh, my co-writer, Leslie Kerrigan-Lay, and my good friend and old producer, Kia Houston, are going to be directing this. Uh, So my biggest goal, because I am producing along with uh, my old partner, David Bradburn, uh, we want as many women to put this together as possible. Um, 
so we are looking, you know, we have two female directors. We want a female DP. We want, you know, female, you know, gaffer, everything. We want to fill it as much as we can here in Chicago with as many females because we want this to be kind of this love letter from women to the rest of the country. So you said you're two months into pre-production right now, and you said that you're not generally a, an overtly political person. How does writing a script like this that is relatively timely and based on a specific moment in time, but then it takes a few months to actually get things produced, how is that different from you know, feeling a difference in current events and what you're trying to produce, which is sort of set when you wrote it? Does that make sense? Right. Uh, it's a little, it's almost time capsule-ish, right? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I... Though I don't want to rush it, you know, I mean, so there's, it's almost an oxymoron in a way because it's like, we want to really get this made now because we want people to see it right now, you know, because we feel like this is our message or this is something to, you know, spark controversy, not controversy, but conversation and things like that. Maybe some controversy, Uh, but, you know, I do want to handle it with kid gloves a little bit. You know, I feel like there is no necessary rush for this because I feel like the administration, as much as I wanted to change and, you know, go in different places and things like that, I, I don't know if that's going to happen right now. So I think that if I go about it at my pace and our pace and how we're doing it and everything like that, I think it's going to be, you know, really spectacular in a lot of ways. Uh, so, you know, within hopefully the next six to eight months, you know, we really like we've tied down our cast, we've tied down, you know, everything and we are shooting and ready to, we want to go on this festival run. We want to, you know, eventually we want to try to bring it to not necessarily like schools or things like that, but maybe film schools or maybe, you know, like women's groups and things like that. And actually, you know, associate it with things that can make us feel more equal, more powerful as a group, you, as a whole. You never. I mean, we live in the, the United States, right? I've never felt like ununited in my life than I do right now. <coughs> Hold on. Wait a second. Jack has a question, but he's having a coughing attack. This is a terrible time. We're just going to laugh at him. It's just right there. We're just going to keep rolling because that's what we do. <laughs> that's fun. That's very professional. Are you okay, Sean, Jack? Yeah, I'm fine. Sean, yeah. I just wanted to ask you real quick when you were talking about the administration. You never actually say the president by name in this script. Is that Absolutely on purpose? Absolutely on purpose. I Ooh. never wanted to because, you know, it's funny. A lot of people won't. They won't mention him, you know, because they're either disgusted or whatever. I just, you know, I wanted to allude to it because, you know, I don't necessarily need to hammer it on the head, you know, hammer the nail on the head, whatever kind of thing. Because uh, a lot of people are like, well, why is he a lobbyist? Why is this guy that you capture a lobbyist? Why isn't it the dude? Um, because, you know, what would happen is that I have to, once we eventually produce this, I have to hire basically an impersonator. And we've seen Alec Baldwin, you know, kicks a major butt on SNL doing his thing and everything like that. But, you know, it becomes a caricature. I don't need caricatures. I want real people, real settings, and real situations. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was to maybe make it a little more timeless or if it was – I didn't realize it was specifically almost out of a frustration is the vibe I got from your answer just now. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, w- I do want to make it timeless, right, you know, because we never know that 50 years from now we don't run into another character like this, you know, or things like that. But there's always going to be people in this world that want to hold – you know, that want to oppress somebody or another. And I want to see the underdog, man. I've been an underdog in my life. So I'm, I'm all about underdogs. I want to see these six women go and kick some ass. You know, I want to see the Chicago Cubs win a world series. I want to see me do okay in my life. You know I mean? So, uh, I wanted to make timeless, but I want to fight for this underdog. And, you know, I, I think that, the underdog was so ready to get on that platform, you know, last November and it didn't happen and it blew a lot of people away and everybody's still reeling from it. And so how can I make it a little timeless, but also a little timely effect? I guess that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Sure. So Sean, if there are other fighters like you in the Chicago area that want to work with you on this project that want to be involved, what's, what's a way for people to get in touch with you? 
Um, well, if you see me on the street, you just wave, shake my hand, and say hi. <laughs> That's good. Uh, give me a big hug, and I will hug you back because I'm a hugger. Nice. Um, but if you would like to get in touch with me, uh, let's see. The first is you can, you know, obviously reach out on Facebook or social media. Uh, you can go to Nasty the Film on your uh, Facebook pages. Um, you can also reach us at ForkTheMan.com. Uh, that is also, like I was saying, that's my co-producer. So you can just go to our website and check out everything that's going on there. And, uh, yeah, I am I would release my phone number, but, you know, I'm just afraid <laughs> that all the ladies are going to want to call me. So, you know, I'll do that at another time. Yeah, Maybe do the that. next interview. Do that on your um, second date, you know, right? Yeah, look me up on, you know, Facebook. So I'm Patrick <laughs> Leonard. You know, I'm always open to meeting new people and... You know, let's take down the world, right? Cool. Or let's lift it up. Yeah, yeah, way to go. Um, okay, so thanks for being here with us today, Sean. It's been so awesome. And like, Oh, my God, thank you. You yeah. guys have been great, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me about my script. I'm, I'm ecstatic. Thanks for coming on the show, Sean. Appreciate it. Oh, my God, absolutely. Anytime. Nope, that was Sean Patrick Leonard. The script is nasty. It is a uh, 12-page short that is uh, fairly timely and extremely political. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you're interested, check it out. We are on Mm -hmm. scriptshopshow.com is where we're at anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys, deep in the heart, as we mentioned earlier, they're sponsoring a giveaway on today's show. If you like and share today's episode with the hashtag scriptshopgiveaway and tag at D-I-T-H-F-F, Deep in the Heart Film Festival oh. at D-I-T-H-F-F, um, as well as at Script Shop Show. You can get entry into a drawing. This winner will be selected at random and receives a festival waiver to Deep in the Heart Film Festival. So if you've got a short, a script, actually, I need to check to see if they take script submissions. I'm not sure. Mm, okay. But yeah, you know, we'll look that up. But if you have a movie that you're trying to get in on the festival circuit, you can get a waiver into their festival by tagging and sharing today's episode. Um, don't forget that they're open for submissions, so look them up online at deepintheheartff.com. And also, we here at Script Shop, mm. two redheads in the studio, and then Frank <laughs> as well. That yeah, should be like a band name. Oh, Frank, yeah, it should Frank be. and the Redheads. Why does Frank get top billing? Because well, how else is this going <laughs> to go? Sorry, I don't know. Redheads make fun of Frank. Two redheads that's and Frank. Good, that's not, I don't know. It's not a good band name. It's a work in progress. <laughs> so if you would like to be on the show, we would love to read your script. So yes. you can send your scripts to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Yes. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> See, if you were tuning in earlier, you know that that was a big deal just now. <laughs> and it's a podcast, so you defo were tuning in earlier. Yeah. It's a, it's a as long as thing. you don't tune off, then we're okay, right? So we uh, talked about also, we mentioned before, but uh, please follow us, like us, uh, subscribe to us, Instagram, Facebook, tw- uh, Twitter, Script Shop Show, and uh, we would appreciate that very much. Thank you. We'd love to get to know you. And uh, that's a wrap, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Thank you. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for-